Be confident. Be bold. Be authentic. But don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass, episode number 63. In this episode, I talk to my close friend, Lex Lakofsky. We talk about procrastination, meditation, and his book, Passport Forward. Did you know that he has been to 82 countries, which is freaking badass? So Lex is going to be the first male to have ever been on the Ordinary to Badass podcast or the Ordinary to Badass Facebook group. And here's the thing. Lex is a total badass, but he's also supportive of the badass women in his life or the badass women in his life. And I think it's important to hear from him. He has so much. He lived in a Buddhist monastery. So he has so much stuff that he can share with us to enrich our lives and make it better. So I am super excited for you to hear this episode. But really quickly, I have a favor to ask you. If you like this episode, will you please head on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review letting us know what you thought. I want to get this episode into more hands of people like you, and I would be super grateful if you headed on over to iTunes and left a review. All right, now to the episode. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I'm glad you're here. Today's guest is Lex Lakofsky. Lex, I'm super excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Can you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Uh, my name's Lex Lakofsky. I'm currently in Louisville, Kentucky, in my beautiful office that I nicknamed Orangey because it's orange. <laughs> very original. Uh, so creative. Thank you. I'm, I'm very, very good friends of Marie and I, um, uh, we, we're, we're, we share a lot of the same marketing strategies and um, I wrote a book called Passport Forward that was basically a um, somewhat funny and also um, adventurous story about the many countries that I've been to. As of now, I've been to 82 countries around the world. And I wanted to share some of the experiences that I had that um, let people know that the world is not a dangerous place, that there's no perfect time to do anything. You just need to do it. And um, that, uh, you know, don't listen to all the people that tell you you can't do things. You just got to, you know, chart your own course and have fun with it. So that's part of what I wanted to do. And I went and lived at a Zen monastery in California for 16 months up in the mountains and uh, was on America's got talent once, which was pretty cool. And everything else was pretty boring after that, you know, so. Okay. So you got to tell me what led to the America's Got Talent? Like what led you to apply or put in for that? Well, my brothers, Dominic and Brennan are two of the uh, most successful entertainers in the sports industry. So they, 
they uh, they got on, they applied for America's Got Talent, made it, and then they needed a replacement because of some of the scheduling conflicts. So I went out there for, I was on the TV show for three nights back in 2000 and I don't know, whenever it was, when David Hasselhoff and Piers Morgan and uh, Sharon Osbourne were on the, the judge panel and Jerry Springer was the host. So um, you can look it up. It was pretty cool but it was it was fun to be on in Hollywood but it wasn't I can't take credit for that because it wasn't my <laughs> it wasn't what I created but I was part of the ride so you know I'm I'm the only person that I know besides my family that have been on America's Got Talent so I have that whatever distinction you want to call it okay so you're pretty outgoing though was it nerve-wracking at all for you to go on the show with especially it sounds like you didn't have a lot of time to prepare uh no it was I was inside of a costume, so no one could tell whether I, who I was on the inside. So it's, I don't know if you've ever seen anybody inside of a costume or inflatable. Somebody that's in a mascot uniform is basically what we were doing. So no one knew my face. Um, so there was no risk of, even if I did something stupid or humiliating, no one would say, oh, Lex just messed up. They would say Harry Canary or whatever character I was in <laughs> messed up. So it was... It, there was there was no downside other than you know um, no there was no downside it was fun so I Love wasn't it. I wasn't scared so so I'm still gonna find the video and post it in the Facebook group here so people can see um, that's smart and <laughs> I got to tell you you're the first guy that has been in the ordinary to badass Facebook group for an interview or the podcast so it's pretty awesome having you here <laughs> cool I like that thank you yeah glad to have you. And I should have asked you this right at the beginning, but I got to ask you, do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? Um, <laughs> so <laughs> that, I was accused many times of being cocky. And it's just because sometimes it's like, look, I, I'm not cocky. I just like to do things. And so part, part, a lot of people are afraid to admit that they're cool or that they're badass because they want to hide it. And then other people tell me, you know, what you're doing was, uh, you know, traveling around the world and writing about it was really crucial to me to get out of my cocoon and to go do things. And I'm like, cool. So yes, I think I'm a badass. Do I go outside and tell people that I'm a badass? <laughs> no, because it's not cool to toot your own horn. But um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty much a badass. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I know you pretty well, and I know that you have a passion for traveling. Can you kind of walk us through that, like how that came about, and when was the first time you traveled, and how do you know you have the travel bug? So thank you. Yes. Yeah, so the the first thing that we did when I was in uh, grade school was my dad and mom packed us up into the the four children and and mom and dad. We we drove from Louisville, Kentucky, all the way up through uh, Mount Rushmore into. Uh, San Francisco, then down through LA, down to Tijuana, through the Grand Canyon and back. And so we covered 20, you know, I don't know, we covered 14 states in 29 days. So that was the first real time. Uh, but the, the first time that I left the country really was when I went to Ireland when I was in college to go visit a friend. And then um, I went to the Van, I, I went to Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and they had this really good school called uh, Vanderbilt in Spain and Madrid. And we had a guest speaker come and speak to uh, our Spanish class that talked about how he would go to Museo del Prado for uh, art lessons 
And then on the weekends, they would go to Barcelona. And then the next weekend, they would go to uh, Portugal. And then they went down to Morocco. And I'm like, all right. So the next next semester, I was in I was in Madrid. Oh, and that's wow. basically when that's basically that man. I wish I could give him a hug or a, 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 bo a box of cheap wine or whatever he was drinking and <laughs> basically said, thank you, man. You changed my life. So um, that was when that first trip when I went to Spain after it was over my uh, my good friends from Vanderbilt, we went uh, we got on a, a year rail pass and went and went through all, all through Europe together for a month and just blew it up. So that was a lot of fun. So at that point, it was pretty, uh, pretty hooked. So I was pretty hooked. So why do you think you love traveling so much? I, I love the freedom and I love the, the fact that every single day in a different place requires a new set of, uh, a new set of understanding what to do today, where to sleep tonight, what to eat. It's not, it's not just staying, you know, staying in the normal. So every day is an experience. I see things, I, I smell things, I eat things, I meet people that I've never met before. I, and um, so that, that's the, what, that, that's what excites me. So when I was one of my trips, two of my trips around the world, I did for 16 months at a time, both of them. And when I came home, I realized how boring what I know the routine is. And I was just like, man, you know, there was months and months and months where I didn't even know where I was going to sleep that night, what I was going to eat, what I was going to see. And at the end of the day, I was, I, I would tell people, I'm like, I just had the most amazing day but you had to be there to appreciate it. So, yeah, I, so I'm a believer that those kind of experiences, whether it's traveling or alone or traveling somewhere that you're not familiar with, and you just get to learn the culture and adapt to different things. I'm a believer that that builds character and that makes you trust yourself more. Have you experienced that at all? Oh, absolutely. So the, I even wrote about this on my blog while I was traveling. It's, it was called the Lexpedition which then became part of the book that I wrote. So uh, there was a part that said, there is no chapter, there, there's no book that you can go get at the library or at the bookstore that says how Marie should live her life or how Lex should live his life or what should Marie do in this particular situation or what Lex should do in this particular situation. So when I was in Kyrgyzstan or something and I'm in this bazaar where they've got food and vegetables and and meat and animals that you've never seen that I've never seen before. It was all right. So I have to figure out how to get there. I have to figure out how to change money. I have to do all these things. And so I became much more reliant upon my ability to make decisions, wise decisions, because no one else was there to say, um, Hey, I've been here, let's do this, or this is what you should do. And it, I can't like, I, I couldn't email my friends at home and say, Hey, you know, what do you recommend that I do in Bishkek tonight? And they're like, oh, cool, Bishkek. Uh, what city is that? And what country are you in? And, you know, like, are you sick? And I'm like, no, I just, I'm in Bishkek, you know? So that, I think that's in Kyrgyzstan, but so much more so, self-reliance and self-confidence. And, and then also the ability, like, I, I can always figure this out, which becomes part of the badassery yeah. of, I'll figure this out, you know, no matter what you throw at me. I'll figure this out. Just give me a few seconds. So <laughs> I love it, but you got to do it in order to be able to feel that way. You have to actually put yourself in those situations if you want to kind of feel badass. So you might feel uncomfortable or nervous in the beginning, but eventually yeah. you'll get more and more confident and comfortable with it. Um, 
so what is your favorite place that you've ever traveled to? Um, so I've been to, I think I should have looked this up. I think I've been to 82 countries Holy as of God. right now. My favorite country in the whole world is Laos or Lao, depending upon, you know, who's saying it. Uh, and the reason <laughs> that I love the country is because the people are genuinely nice. Uh, it hasn't been overrun with tourists yet. And it hasn't been Starbucks is what I, I, I call it. It hasn't been Starbucks. So there's not massive amounts of uh, development and, and, you know, chains everywhere. So it's a gorgeous country. The people are super chill. The food is amazing. It tastes a lot like uh, Thai food, if you like Thai food. So that's my favorite country. My favorite place in the world is the Zen monastery that I lived at in Southern California for 16 months. It's called Zen Mountain Center. It's down near uh, Palm Springs, but it's up at uh, 6,000 feet. And my favorite city is right here, Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if I couldn't live in Louisville, I would probably live, uh, I would probably live in Colombia. That's my next favorite place that I would live, Colombia, South America. So, but luckily I haven't been kicked out yet of, of Kentucky or America. <laughs> Not but, that you know of. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you're right. <laughs> so, what do you say to the people that are afraid of traveling or traveling by themselves or going to a different country? Well, everyone's situation is, uh, is specific to their, everyone's travel situation is specific to them. So if you're, if you've never, if you say, I've always wanted to go to Italy and you've never gone, then, you know, th this coronavirus thing is completely goofing up everything. But yes, absent the coronavirus, the thing I would do is say, okay, I'm going to go to Italy. The most important thing to do is book the ticket. And then you tell people, I booked my ticket for whatever day to go to. I'm flying into Rome. And then you just make it up. Then you can fill in the, the blanks afterwards. But the most important thing is to make the decision and stop, you know, shoulda, woulda, coulda, or regrets to say, I'm going to do this. If you're, if you're afraid of going alone, then go, you know, find somebody that's interested in going with you. But um, if you're not ready to go to Italy, then, you know, depending upon where you live and where you're watching this, then pick some place that you can go to, excuse me, that's out of your, out of your comfort zone, uh, even in America. So, you know, you, you can go to the safe places, excuse me, like Jamaica or uh, Belize or other places that are very easy to get to from America and get your first international taste. But the, the most important thing is just, you know, we, as far as I know that you, I only get one chance in life. I don't, uh, I can't come back as this, you know, this goofy bag of flesh. So I have to take, <laughs> I have to take advantage of whatever is going on right now and live this life. So you only get one chance. If you want to go to Italy, go to Italy. If you want to go to Ireland, go to Ireland. If you want to go wherever, go wherever, but you know, just book the ticket, tell your friends, which creates a sense of accountability and then figure out all the details later. It's just the most important thing is the intention and action. So without action, without action, it's just a dream. And at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed and you talk about all the things you shoulda, woulda, coulda, those don't those don't count. They don't count, you know? They right, don't count. Right. They're like, hey, I I really did want to learn to play the tuba, but, <laughs> but you, you didn't, you know, you really didn't want to learn to play the tuba. You just thought it was a good idea at the time. But if you don't learn to play the tuba, then you can't say, 
you know, well, that's my biggest regret in life. So. <laughs> so when you travel, do you try to do other people's traditions and do things how they do them to experience the culture? Do you do that at all? Uh, I don't try to be a poser. Like, you know, I spent, uh, I don't know, I spent four, <laughs> I spent five months in India, I think in my life, but I never went and got one of those saris or, you know, wore sandals or whatever they did, you know, like at some point I look like I'm trying to fit in, which doesn't, which doesn't work, but, um, you know, and then the people, the people that are traveling that are trying to do that look like posers. They're immediately like, okay, this guy, this woman or this man really isn't from here. They're just trying to act like they're from here, but, and the locals, I think they kind of see through that. So, but more importantly, you, the most important thing is not necessarily acting like them, but don't do anything that's going to insult them or to, uh, you know, make you, you know, stick out. So in, in the Muslim <laughs> countries, I spent a lot of time in the Middle East and, and, and India. And when you're in the, that area, you've got to, you know, you, you wear certain clothes and you, you know, observe their, their uh, rituals and their, their, their behaviors. And then there's other places where, you know, you, you don't have to, but the most important thing is don't just basically don't be a bad tourist. Uh, you know, they, they say that, that, you know, what's it called the ugly American stereotype, but I've seen really bad people from around the world in every country. It doesn't matter. There's the ugly tourists from every country. So, um, I, so I, don't, I guess, go ahead. I would be afraid of putting my foot in my mouth. Like, I don't, how do you know when you're going to offend somebody or how, how would you even know that? Cause every culture is so well, different. There's the, when I, when I was traveling, I was reading, what was it called? The lonely planet was a good guide at the time. This is back when, uh, you actually did buy books. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever seen like a physical book, but here's a South <laughs> India book. Here's an Eastern Europe book. And if you open it up, Lonely Planet tells you the do's and don'ts of, you know, you don't want to say this or do this, or here's what you dress when you go to the temple. So, you know, basically, as long as you're not being a jerk and you're not, you're not doing anything stupid, then you're not going to offend anybody, you know? So the, the, the way that I've seen people offend others in other country is, wearing the like wearing not enough clothing in a, a public space which you know is is a, a no-no right but as far as like speaking or saying anything you know that people know that you're a tourist and that you're not from there so they they cut you some slack as long as you don't as long as you're not violent or or angry then you know and i, I you know that's not who you are and most of your your badass people aren't so right be a and i I would guess some of it, if you decide where you're going, you could do some Google searches and just kind of find out like just basic, you know, customs or traditions or things that are offensive. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the, you know, just the taboos of each place. So yeah, I was being funny with the physical books, but yeah, the, you, most of it's online now to where you, you can find out before you go. But again, you know, as long as you're not doing something stupid, like blatantly stupid, or you're not um, going and looking for the wrong thing. Like if you, if you're the moment that you start going into someone else's, uh, bad area looking for, you know, things you're not supposed to, you know, if you're looking for, uh, drugs or companionship, that's beyond the scope of companionship or whatever, you're automatically in the wrong place. And that's, you know, you're going to be in trouble, but as long as you stay on the right side and do kind of what you're supposed to, I mean, 
I, I've been overseas for four years traveling around the world and I never got in a bad situation because I didn't put myself in a bad situation. So is it, is it because your humor goes across all languages? <laughs> uh, I hope so. I've got pictures Lex, of people. Lex is speechless. I love I've it. Got, <laughs> I've got people, I've got pictures of people laughing and laughing at me around the world and I can't tell whether they're laughing at me or laughing with me, so. <laughs> so Lex, you made the comment about physical books, the joke about physical books earlier. Can you tell us about yours? Uh, sure, so my book, uh, I have a copy right here, Passport Forward. It's, uh, it's all about moving from regrets and routine to freedom, passion, and adventure, which is what the subtitle says. But it's, it's a, it takes the reader on a journey from uh, you can set your life up any way you want and you can go after what you want to go after. Um, and then no one can tell you not to except for you. So the, no matter what you want to do, do it while you can. The, and, and, you know, like action creates action. So take action, go do things and give it your best shot. And there's a chapter in there called the perfect is the enemy of the good, which is a lot of the, People that procrastinate, I used to be a big procrastinator. I do on many things still, but procrastination, putting it off to some other day, et cetera, are the things that most people take to their, their deathbed. And so I don't want to be that person. So um, the book the book is, I don't know, 30 chapters or so. And it it's some of my, my favorite travel stories and adventures. It's also... Uh, some of the insights that I learned while I was traveling around the world about, you know, how people received me and how I interacted with them. So it's, and, you know, the original version, which you have a copy of, that's called the Lex sure edition, do. was much yeah. more uh, PC. Uh, it was much more, it was much more raw or it was raw. <laughs> and then my editor, God love her, she helped me tone this down. So some of my humor and sarcasm and whatever uh, is gone from this, <laughs> this version, but it was, uh, I was that trying said to make it is not boring. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> so what I was trying to do was entertain people, but more importantly, inspire people to say, go out there, go after what you want and do it. So, so had you always wanted to write a book? No, I never thought about it before. So before, I, okay, so the whole reason that I want, ended up writing this book was because I was at a coffee shop and somebody said, when you go travel, how are, how are your friends going to keep in touch with you? So I'm just going to email them. And they said, you should get a blog. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll make a blog. And, you know, then I, of course, figured out what a blog was. And so I went and <laughs> I, I tried to figure out the name for the blog. And, you know, my name's Lex. And everything sounded like sex or X or, you know, whatever. So finally I came up with the Lexpedition and I made the Lexpedition. God, this is way back, but this is before most people even knew what the internet was. But I made, <laughs> I made, I made the Lexpedition so that people could, I would email them and say, Hey, I've got the latest update, go to my website. And so people kept writing me and telling me, you know, I don't know. I mean, my mom did, of course, cause she thought I was funny, <laughs> but my brothers told me, but more importantly, people that weren't my family told me that you got to write a book. And I'm like, I will. But right now I'm in, uh, you know, wherever I was, Kuala Lumpur. And right now I'm in Chinatown drinking a beer. So at one point I'll write the book. But so 
that's what came the blog <laughs> became the book after a lot of uh you know tender loving care so so i think that you see a book and you don't realize all of the work that goes into it or just like oh that must have been easy for that person <laughs> was it easy for you no it sucked it was um <laughs> i've got over here on my bookshelf here in my office i have well here's a hard hardcover copy this was originally going to be a table um th this is a mock-up you know I, I was as seen on tv i was just throwing <laughs> stuff on there new york times bestseller this is like five years ago or something and then i kept reprinting it and fixing it and editing it and the uh it's not easy it's not easy writing a book the second the second one's going to be much easier whenever i do that but I should have started with the second one because the second one's supposed to be easier than the first one, but I had to, <laughs> I had to finish the first one first. So it, it, it was a painful process, uh, but I'm, I'm so glad I did it because it opened up so many doors for speaking engagements. You know, I, I, I do a lot of speaking engagements personally, physically, you know, not lately because of the coronavirus, but writing a book has been what, what someone gave me the analogy and I love it is like running a marathon. And I think I told you this before. So you run a marathon. I'm, I ran a marathon to get this, this book published. And then I was like, oh, I'm exhausted. I just want to go to sleep for like, you know, a year and you know, <laughs> crawl into the finish line over right. here and, and drink those squeeze packs of goo or whatever they give you at races. <laughs> I don't run. I mean, obviously, but so um, I just wanted to hibernate. And someone right. picked me up and said, hey, you've got another marathon you got to run now. It's called marketing and promotion. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm so tired. So that's what <laughs> I've been doing now is marketing and promoting my book. So writing a book, it's it's easy. Like there's um, 100 people or 200 people on my uh, uh, my bookshelf who've written a book before. So <laughs> it can be done. It's it's not yes. easy. It's, it's it, it opens crazy amounts of doors. But then you have to figure out how to. How do I get my book onto that guy's or that woman's shelf back there? That's the hard part. So, so what did you learn from writing a book or what did it teach you? Uh, that it was another thing that I'd never done before. So I, I said, I'm going to, I've never written a book. I'm going to write a book. So I wrote it and, and published it and got it, you know, printed and all that good stuff. So what it taught me was, this is another thing that I can do, which goes into the category of badassery right yep <laughs> so this is another thing that i can do that i've never done before that very few people have done and i did it so when i write a second book i automatically go to a different level of of badassery which was i didn't write a book i wrote two books so at some point that'll happen so i learned that and also learned how not to write a book so if you ever want to write a book i will help you and I won't help you write it, but I'll tell you what not to do and how to avoid <laughs> some of the pitfalls and the the time uh, the time drains that I had. So it I sounds like that, you're going to have another book, how not to write a book. <laughs> that's pretty good. <laughs> I better write that down. <laughs> write a book. <laughs> I did. I just wrote it down. That's pretty good. <laughs> nice. So, <laughs> so what's next? What do you want to write about next? Do you want to write about traveling? Do you want to switch it up and write about writing? What do you want to write about? Well, actually, if I tell people, 
if I tell people I did five things in my life so far, I've been to 82 countries, I've been on America's Got Talent, I've, I lived at a Zen monastery for 16 months, I can solve a Rubik's Cube in 56 seconds, and, you know, whatever else, I can dance, I'm a pretty good dancer. There's Everybody wants to know one of those two things. They either want to know about America's Got Talent or the Zen Center. It's crazy. It's like they they're like 82 countries. That's pretty cool. But tell me what you did on America's Got Talent or tell me what you, how was it at the Zen Center? So everybody tells me, uh, at least the people that know what they're talking about, that I should focus my next book on, you know, the, I think uh, our friend Jeff, our, our mutual friend Jeff said it. He said, uh, you know, I, he said how I went to a Zen Center for 16 months and came out as a total badass or something. I forget <laughs> that was his suggested title. I'm like, that's pretty good because it's, it's the yin and the yang. It's like, you know, you go to a Zen monastery and you're supposed to come out like like, like the shirt that I'm wearing. Uh, <laughs> but if you, but, you know, to use the word badass with the word Zen is kind of, you know, kind of catches people's attention. So it'll yeah. either be the Zen, it'll either be the Zen stuff or a, a much funnier version of this current book. So. <laughs> yes, but I agree with the, the zen and the badass stuff in the sense like badass is traditionally like a hard ass or a tough ass but I think that being peaceful or just like having confidence is I think it's way more important than the being tough or a hard ass I don't know yeah I agree and so So, at the zen center I sat down every day at least six times, if not 12 times for 30 minutes at a time and didn't move and just focused on my breath, focused on what's going on in my brain, focused on what's my emotions. And so this, this gave me much more, uh, much more quiet. I mean, I, I know I talk a lot. Hello. But <laughs> <laughs> so, but it gave you me have the to ability. make up for the years you didn't talk. <laughs> <laughs> so but it gave me the ability to focus really intensely. So when I was sitting on the cushion and there was no movement, no one in the, all the 15 or 20 of us in the room aren't moving. And I would just sit there. I would be able to focus on what I could feel my heartbeat. I could feel my throat beat. I could feel my feet. I, I could feel all this stuff. And then br- thoughts would come up and I would focus on them and then they would disappear. So I, I realized that I can choose what to focus on in, in my life. And so I, I, I'm much better at focusing and getting things done now than I was ever before, which gave me much more self-reliance, which goes back to your earlier point about what did I learn while I was traveling and then the confidence and the self-reliance. So, you know, we're all on our own little journey and there isn't, there's even at the Zen center, which you would think would have, if you've got 20 people in the room sitting, you would think it'd be a, a pretty homogenous, same wavelength kind of thing. Every single person out of those 20 was on their own journey. And, and mm-hmm. so I would get done and we would, we don't, t- you, you can't talk about what just happened because it's, you can kind of relate, but it's like everybody was on their own journey. Each one of us is on our own journey. We get to recreate and create our journey every single moment, you know, starting right now. And then you get another chance right now to make the, the life that we want. And so there is no, you know, oh, you know, I, I don't have the money or I didn't have this, or I was, you know, my childhood was that. And it's like, yeah, that was uh, over there. So now going forward, you can create this. What do you want to create? So that was one of the things that 
it was really important to me. It's like, this is the only time that you have to make anything. So just, you know, start doing it. Had you ever known anybody that had went to a Zen monastery before? No. So what led you to start thinking about that or to make the decision to go? Uh, there, I went to a seven day silent retreat because a friend of mine, when I was living in Phoenix, Arizona at the time, he told me, he's like, I think I've got the thing for you. And he started telling me about it. And I, and he was like, we, you know, you sit and it's quiet and you're, you're in nature and it's, you know, good food. And I'm like, I'm in. So I went with them a few months later, excuse me. And I, I did a seven day silent retreat. And after like day three, excuse me, I was like completely hooked. And I was like, it's cool. <laughs> so I, I did a seven day retreat. Six months later, I did another one. And then uh, six months later, I did another one. And eventually I was like, every time I come home from this, I, I'm so energized and peaceful and happy. And, and I said, that th this isn't going to work. So I, I called up the, the person that was running them. And I said, I, I'm tired of the seven day, uh, you know, seven day recharge. I want the whole, you know, the full Monty. And he's like, well, come live here. And I said, okay. So I went and lived there. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Here's what I think is really funny is that like I said, you're outgoing and you're talkative and then you found such peace, like in solace and the quietness. And I feel like I am such an introvert, but it would just drive me bonkers to be in <laughs> silence all the time. I don't know. It's, I think that's ironic. <laughs> well, people always say that, you know, that I, I like people. I'm, I'm very nice. I'll, I'll give anybody anything as long as, you know, there's no hidden agenda. I'll, I'll do anything for anybody. And I'm a good person. I like, I, I could hang out with every walk of life and I enjoy interacting with people, but I can only do that for so much time. So mm -hmm. I'm an, I like to entertain people. I like to be nice to people. I like to inspire people. And then I like to be quiet and have my own space. So in my office here, it's just me. My house is uh, six minutes walking down the hill that way. I come up here all day long. I crank stuff out and it's nice and quiet. And so I, I need my recharge. So I'm, I'm really good with people and people think I'm an extrovert, but I don't think that's true. I, I, I mean, I traveled alone uh -huh. uh, on most of my travels. And if I needed people, I would go to the bar or I would go, I'd bump into somebody at the hotel and we would go do something. And I'm like, cool, that's it. And so um, at, the, at the monastery, there were people who were introverts. There were people that were extroverts. And when everyone's quiet, it doesn't matter who you are. Everyone's looking for one thing. The, the general underlying theme of everybody that's there is to reduce suffering for themselves and others. And so it's like, if, if you've got a lot of chatter in your head or if you're trying to work out some of your demons or some of your habits or whatever, being quiet helps process that. Everyone's looking for to reduce suffering. That's like, I, I don't want to get into a religious thing, but the Buddha said life is suffering and it doesn't mean that life is eternal suffering. It's like there's suffering. What are you going to do about it? So I try to ease your suffering and my suffering on a regular basis. But at the end of the day, I have to go back into my cocoon, whatever you want to call that, and recharge my batteries. How would I or any of the women in this group, how would they reduce their suffering? What's something that they could do or a practice they could implement? That's a good question. So uh, the first thing that I would do is, is uh, if you don't already have somebody you can talk to that's 
professional that, you know, find somebody to help you sort out some of the things that aren't working in your life to work through the roadblocks and the obstacles that the human beings generally throw in front of each of themselves to sabotage themselves. So humans are really good at sabotaging themselves. And if you know what's, what your normal sabotaging self is going to do, you can see the flags that are going to come up. Um, and then uh, I lost, I lost the, the, the question was what can, what, what can people do? Like how can to, you reduce suffering? How can we reduce suffering is being silent and just having meditation time a part of that at all? Meditation is definitely part of it. So if you, if you turn your phone off and put it on airplane mode for 15 minutes, set a timer so that it reminds you so you don't miss anything important, but turn your phone off, close your eyes, sit in a chair and just, you know, unplug, you know, and just take, take a break. That always helps. But the, what most people, in my opinion, the, there's a phone, there's a phone that's ringing for most people and they refuse to answer the phone. The phone is ringing and it's either sadness or anger or shame or depression or whatever. And they just say, I'm going to let that go to voicemail. I'll deal with that some other time. So eventually you have to answer the phone and get the basic message, which is I'm angry. I'm sad. I'm scared. Uh, I'm ashamed or whatever, and figure out what that root cause is from why it's happening. And then once you figure that out, the phone stops ringing for that particular situation. So the, if you, if you, if you keep pushing it under the rug or pushing it aside, it will come back sideways and eventually it's going to, it's going to come back, you know, in a big way. So, you know, face the music, answer the phone, figure out what, why these patterns keep showing up. And, uh, you know, by turning off the phone or sitting quietly, you can start to do that. Uh, and there was something else. There was another one that I had. I'll think of it and I'll let you know. Okay, cool. So how do you incorporate like what you learned in the monastery into your daily life? Well, the, I'm a terrible multitasker. When people tell you they're, they're good multitaskers, they're usually not paying attention to you and they're, <laughs> they're typing on something and they're like, you know, like, like that, you know, like giving you lip service. So I've, I've learned that I don't pay attention well to more than one thing at a time. So if I'm talking to my girlfriend, I'm with my girlfriend. And then if she needs my attention, I, I focus with her. Then I go back to chopping the vegetables or playing, you know, doing whatever I was doing. But I can't do, I, I can't chop vegetables and pay really close attention to what my girlfriend is talking about or, or, or have a conversation with her. So it's all about focusing on what's here and now and, and, and staying there and not getting drawn into trying to do too many things or being too many, too many, uh, you know, too many things and too many people at the same time. So I know I've, I've heard you give a talk about this before. Um, but you had also talked about like, if you're doing the laundry, just focusing on what you're doing for your, your task as you're doing it, or like to be grateful for, I don't know, the detergent, or can you talk about that a little bit? Yes, that's, yeah, so good. I'm glad you remember that. So the analogy that I used was most people when they're doing laundry, including myself, you open, you know, you go downstairs or wherever your laundry, your your dryer is and your washer is and are, are and you, you open it up and you move one to the other and then you throw the, the sheet in and and then you move back to whatever you were doing. 
But in that 15 or 20 seconds or a minute, whatever it takes you to change the laundry and, and turn on the dryer, there's an opportunity to not think about lunch or the future or what's wrong in the world and just pay really close attention for the first time as you reach in and grab the clothes, see your hands grabbing the clothes and watch carefully as you put them in the dryer and then do it again and slow, slow time down. And in that moment, you're meditating and you're focused and you're attentive. And so then as you're reaching up and grabbing the dryer sheet to put into the dryer, look at it as if you've never, you know, you, this is the, if you knew that this was the last time you were going to be able to do this in your life and you said, I only get one more chance to, to change the laundry, you know, isn't going to happen. But if, <laughs> if, if I gave you a million dollars to tell me every step of what you did, could you do it? And so pay attention as if someone's going to give you a million dollars to do it. And with that detail and that attention for that 15 seconds or a minute, your whole day will shift because you've now been present, you've been available. And, you, and, and, it, and then after that, the creativity and the, the, you know, the opportunities open up. Yeah. I feel like that's part of being mindful of your environment, but also like just gratitude maybe. Yes, absolutely. Oh, so okay. So the, this is the most, you said gratitude. The, and I was talking about the phone analogy. The way that people, most people can get out of their own way is to serve. So when, when, when I'm saying, woe is me, or, you know, everything's coming at me, or, you know, I've lost this, or I'm scared about that. The most important thing that I have learned is be nice to somebody. Go out of your way to be nice to somebody. If you're at a drive-through, you know, give the the drive-through person an extra. Just you know, I, I don't get drive-through food, but give them. It, when I go to the airport, I used to before. When I used to get on plane, <laughs> Corona. Or... I, I would get off the plane, and I was so happy because I'd been someplace, and the lady's like, you know, I'm going through, and I'm paying eighteen dollars for my car parking, and I would give her a five dollar bill, and I said, here's a, this is for you. She's like, what's this for? I said, it's for you. And it's like those kind of things take it away from woe is me to being nice. So be of somebody, be, be, pick up the phone or reach out to somebody that needs help and put your selfish, mediocre BS aside for a few minutes and serve somebody. And by doing that, you realize that A, you're connected, B, um, you've made someone's day possibly, you've been nice to somebody. And that alone will shift the, you know, uh, will shift your energy. So, you know, you asked the couple of steps people can take and that's, that's yeah. one of it is if, if you're kind of in a funk or you're kind of stuck, you're making it too much about yourself. You're being selfish and you're being, uh, you're, you're, you're focusing all your energy on yourself, push it out and be nice, be really nice to somebody, show up, serve in any way that makes sense for you financially, time-wise, love-wise, and, and stop being so selfish with your energy. So gratitude, be, gra be grateful that you have other people that you can serve and it'll change the way that, you know, that you show up. And I'm kind of going to put you on the spot here, but <laughs> has there been a time where you've done something for somebody, um, done something kind, and then you saw like a big reaction from it or like you, it kind of changed you and got you out of your own head? I'm trying to think of a recent example. 
Well, one of one of the people, I mean, this uh, this is just coming because I just looked at my book, but somebody who bought a, a version of my book originally literally said, my dog ate my book, you know, not the old <laughs> dog ate my homework. And she was all bummed out. And I said, I'll, and, and she said, I only got halfway through it and the dog ate it. I'm like, all right, so I'll send you another one. She's like, really? I said, yeah, why, why not? She's, and I said, and I didn't charge her. I, I, you know, I paid for the postage and everything. And I just sent it to her and she was grateful because I had done that. So, I mean, that's, it was just the right thing to do. So yeah, um, yeah. the most important thing is I don't, always expect people to tell me that I'm cool or thank you for doing that or thank you for showing up and you know changing my flat tire or <laughs> you know you know whatever I I do things because it's the right thing to do so if I'm expecting if I'm expecting gratitude or kudos or a good Yelp I'm not on Yelp but like a good Yelp review or whatever then there's an ulterior motive but if I just give it and then it, hey if something happens then great but you know, I just do it because it's the right thing to do. I think that's what good people do is they show up consistently and they're nice to people and they do the right thing. They avoid doing the wrong thing, not because they're going to expect, not because they're afraid of punishment or repercussions, or they're not looking for praise or recognition. They're doing it because it's what they're supposed to be doing. And so. Yeah. I, I could make the argument sometimes it's selfish too. And that like, because it feels good to help people, you yes, know? <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. I mean, so do you have like a gratitude practice? Uh, I do actually. I have, um, I got this cup when I was in India and it's full of incense and every, every morning and every afternoon and whenever I come in my office, I light another stick of incense and I put it over there in my incense bowl and I raise it up. This is not, any particular religion and I raise it up meaning this is above me I'm not just myself and I, I have a picture my mom passed away a couple of years ago my dad passed away last year and I've got my books I've got my globe I've got my Rubik's cube and all kinds of stuff I, I literally walk around the office and say thank you mom thank you dad thank you brains thank you uh <laughs> Thank you, world, you know, to the globe. I walk around and I say, and I even specifically sometimes thank some of the authors that are up here that changed my life. So I, I say, thank you. And I say, and then at some point, I just keep saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, which is basically, you know, I didn't get here. This is not, I'm lucky. I got, I'm lucky to be where I am, but I didn't, I, I did a lot of it because I worked hard and I took chances, but you know, I didn't do this alone. So how do you deal with like distraction and procrastination? Well, I still, I still procrastinate and it's basically procrastination for me is just, I have so many things that I want to get done and I have a list of things that I, that I want to get done. So it, it sets me up for feeling like I'm procrastinating, but I'm still very productive. So the, the most important thing about product, uh, about procrastination is that fear of starting because I'm afraid of how it might turn out and and I'm either going to be rejected if it turns out wrong or it's not going to be up to my normal par of, you know, superior badassery. So <laughs> it's like I wait until it's perfect before I get it out there, which is, you know, the perfect is the enemy of the good and a, a true badass doesn't wait for perfection. They just they put stuff out that's a B or B plus or A minus, they're not looking for the A plus, they're just looking to get it out there consistently. So the way I get, 
get over procrastination is I just put something out there and take, take the first step. And then once the first step's done, it's, you know, it's much easier. It's kind of like doing the taxes. I just did my taxes this weekend. I didn't do much thing, uh, much fun, many other fun things because I was doing <laughs> my taxes, but I sat down and I just started. And that was the most important. You can't finish your taxes unless you start, right? So procrastination right. is over as soon as you start. And then once I started, I was in it. So procrastination is over once you start. I'm writing that down because I like that one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's right up there with how to write how not to write a book. <laughs> and then today, today I went I've been cutting my own hair with the same clippers I used to cut my hair with uh, at the Zen Center. Uh-huh. So I used to I used to trim my own hair. And this is about the longest my hair has been now in, uh, I don't know, three months. So today I went to Are you coming after me, Lex? (laughs) (laughs) I wish I had hair like that. If I had hair that long, I'd look like a chemo patient. But um, so the, um, I went to my, 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 my barber for the first time since February. So what's this, July 8th. So it's been five months since I saw the guy. And, you know, of course, I mean, he worked as magic. I mean, check this out, but it was, uh, it doesn't look much different than my clippers, but my girlfriend was happy. She's like, <laughs> she wanted me to go back to my, my hairstylist for whatever reason. So that's funny. Yeah. Well, she's been your girlfriend for a while. So happy wife, happy life, same type of thing, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're meditating and stuff takes you out of your calm state, like either you hear family member moving around or you hear noises and it's frustrating and obnoxious. What do you do? So I never, it's never, even at the Zen center, when we were up in the mountains, it was quiet. It was, you could, and at some point you could hear the, the room just like, almost like there was nothing going on. And then there would be a bird outside. And some people, you know, like for me, I love birds. And I love natural sounds. Some people that would be a disturbance, but it's just background noise. So the, the, the trick about meditation is if you sit down and you know you bring your body to stillness and then you bring your mind to stillness and eventually they're like magnets. For a while, they're like wah, wah, wah. But at some point they kind of line up and they're kind of uh, chill. And at that point then, that's where the, the, the quiet unfolds. And so we're, we're constantly, we as humans are constantly bombarded with thoughts and feelings and emotions. I like this. I don't like this. My butt's getting tired. My <laughs> legs are going to sleep. That person over there is breathing too loud. Uh, the, I wish that bird wasn't making that noise. The woman <laughs> in the kitchen at the Zen center is making noise with the pots and pans. So all that's just information. The right. room, it's humid. It's not humid. It's cold. It's not cold we as human beings constantly observe and judge and the emotions arise and fall, the thoughts come up, the addictions come up, the thoughts of money, sex, power, uh, whatever it is that you think of at the time, it constantly comes and goes. Everything is asking for your attention, but none of it requires your immediate presence or, or your immediate attention. So there's absolutely nothing that that person in the other room that's clanging pots and pans, or, you know, your, you, you said your family members making noise in the other room. That's just one other piece of information that's coming in 
with all the thousands of other pieces of information. We choose as humans to get distracted by that, you know, something over there, which yeah. might not be that important. So the, 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 the trick is the shortcut is when all these inputs are coming in millions of inputs constantly, what is it you're going to do with the inputs? And so it, it, it helps to, to, you know, the meditation and quiet helps to remove the, the distractions because it's just another input. So there's never, I've never been in a perfect meditation environment where it was, you know, perfect temperature. My cushion was perfect. My feet didn't fall asleep. I didn't have, you know, thoughts coming this way or, but the thing is you sit, you, we as humans can sit or, or not move or whatever. And even right now, my hands are moving. I can feel my butt on the chair. You're listening to my voice. You're seeing my hand move. And right now, there's no chance that you're thinking about tomorrow because you're paying attention right now. Now I told you to think about tomorrow. So you're thinking about tomorrow. But right. for that moment, you were here with me. Right. Is that true? Right. Yeah. So in this moment, this is all there is. So the, the all these things that are going on, it, it's all constantly coming at us. So um, if, if there's stuff going on in the other room or there's, you know, family members making noise, you know, you 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 can tell them to you know chill out for a while because you're meditating, or you can just go back to what it was that you know. There, there's still there's a um, this this is the old Zen joke, but do you know how you make a angry bull not so angry? How you give him you give him a huge area. So if he's in a pen and he's all angry or whatever, you give him the inf infinity of a countryside and he's not angry anymore. He's just chilling out. So the your brain is like that. It's like your 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 being is like that. So the more you push the boundaries back to available, you know, everything that's coming at you, it's just, you know, it's just all these different inputs. So so to make sure that I understand that though, is it like the less you restrict yourself or the less you restrict where your brain wanders? Is that right? Or is that off? You just keep coming back to whatever whatever's going on is all you need to focus on. So if, if there's noise in the other room and you choose to listen, to focus on that noise, that's what you're focus. then focus on it. And then mm -hmm. at some point that noise will either stop or you'll get tired of it and you'll notice that your butt's tired or that there's a, there's, you can notice that your, your heart's beating or whatever. So I, I've only been able to focus on one thing at a time and you've only been able to focus on one thing at a time. So people say, oh, my brain's a mix. It's, I'm thinking about the future. I'm thinking about the trip. I'm thinking about my job. I'm thinking about my, my relationship. I'm thinking about my kids. My brain's going nuts all the time. I'm like, what thought, what thought is going through your brain right now? Is it your, your relationship, the, the grocery list or whatever? There's only room for one. You can't think simultaneously. At least I've never met anybody that can. <laughs> you can't think all five thoughts. I got to turn the curling iron off. I've got to go to Safeway. I've got to um, book my, my, my travels and I got to do this. Every single one of these comes separately. So if you slow down the gap between those thoughts like this, then there's space between the thoughts, but no one's being bombarded with 50 different thoughts at the same time. There's only one thought coming in. So if you're sitting there noticing that someone's screaming in the other room, you can also notice that your butt is in that chair that 
I'm hearing that person's voice. I'm sitting in this chair. I know that it's warm in this room. And so when you start noticing again, everything kind of, it goes through this hourglass and then it opens back up and it's like, so. Yeah. It, it's, I'm, I'm trying to be simple about it. It, it, yeah. takes a lot of, it takes a lot of work, but it's just one other input. So notice the other inputs that are currently going on. It's warm, my butt hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry, you know, whatever. It's like, notice these things. And people say, in meditation, they say, you know, focus on your breathing and let everything else go. It's like, okay, that, that works for a while. I appreciate that. But your brain's still going to think. Your emotions are still going to come up. You're still going to, your body's going to get goofy. So just pay attention to everything that's going on and stay and stay with your breathing if that's what you're working on. So there's there are 6 billion people on this planet. And so there's 6 billion different ways to meditate. So yeah. just find, find one that works for you. I know I'll try to wrap it up here soon because it's like 10 o'clock where you're at or 10 p.m. So it's 11 um, o'clock where I'm at p.m. Oh, just kidding. I was seeing if you were paying attention. <laughs> I'm on East Coast time. Is there anything you do to stop judging yourself when you're meditating? I know like it's easy to be like to stop like or stop thinking of this, stop doing that. You know, is there anything you tell yourself to bring yourself kind of back to center? Uh, I don't judge my I don't. I don't judge myself. That's, that's never been an issue for me. I don't, I, when I'm, when I'm meditating, I'm not thinking about judging myself or whatever. I, I don't think that's ever come up. I've never questioned my validity or my worth or, uh, you know, I, I do have the part where sometimes I'm not good enough, but I never sit there when I'm meditating and think I'm not good enough. I just notice what's going on. So the, my, my at, at the Zen Center, if I could summarize my 16 months, it was, you know, habits, meaning like thoughts of what I wanted to do, acquire this or acquire that, um, or, you know, thinking about what I was going to do later, and then I would come back to the present. But I wasn't sitting there thinking I was, you know, excuse me, I wasn't judging myself or thinking I was a bag of, you know, crap or whatever. So I, I can't answer that. Okay. That's fine. I mean, everybody's different and everybody's going to meditate different or do things differently. So don't nothing to apologize for. No, thanks. <laughs> okay. So you've done all these badass things. What was your favorite? If I could do anything right now, I have to have a knee replacement surgery in the next year. I would do two things right now. If I could wave my magic wand and I haven't found one yet, I guess this, this stick of incense, if I could wave my <laughs> magic wand, I would be on top of a mountain in India like this up at 19,000 feet, or I would be back at the Zen center and living there again. So those are the two, those are the two things right now that if I, I don't, I don't have regrets, but if, if I don't go back to the Himalayas and if I don't make it back to the Zen center and become a Zen master and some other things, then I'll probably have a little bit of shoulda, woulda, coulda. So I don't like that. So I'll probably have to go do those things. <laughs> awesome and i'm gonna have to travel with you one of these days you and meg <laughs> yeah we're gonna go to sri lanka so one of the things that we're gonna do is we're gonna go to sri lanka and do a spice tour where i've got a buddy that's a professional spice importer and reseller and he and i and his 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 wife and meg my girlfriend we're gonna go to sri lanka and go, go look at these places that create all these spices and we're gonna also go to the kitchens and cook and we're gonna take people for a backyard 
you know, barbecue and, you know, all the stuff that, you know, for me, it's perfect. So um, you, you, you're definitely going to go, right? Yes, I'm in. <laughs> cool. <laughs> corona or no Corona. Yeah. No, I'm not going to, I just, if, it, if you replay the tape from earlier, you'll, you'll remember that I said, you couldn't pay me to get on a plane right now. I think I said that. <laughs> you're bad at one. <laughs> I am bad. All right. So, I'm still human um, though. Yes, that is true. <laughs> um, Lex, final question. What would you say to the badass women out there that are in the arena fighting for the life that they want? What advice would you give to them? Uh, just make, take one step right now to going after what it is that you want to do. So fill in the blank. I've always wanted to blank. And if it's play the tuba, then go get a tuba or go rent a tuba. Or I, don't, I don't know anything about tubas, but if you say, I've always <laughs> wanted to go scuba diving, if I, I always wanted to go to Ireland, take the first step. And so the first question is, I've always wanted to, and then fill in that blank. And then the, the next step is take the first step towards doing that, whether it's you know, calling somebody, signing up for a course, or whatever, but just don't don't die with regrets and don't don't say shoulda woulda coulda because it sucks. So you know, go out yes. there, and, go out there and get it. Yes. And I lied, friend. I have one more question. How can we get in touch with you? <laughs> uh, so my website is thelexpedition.com. So it's you know thelexpedition.com. So it's like expedition. Right, anyway, you'll figure it out. You're, I'll put smart. it in the comments. Cool. And then um, you can email me. My name is Lex Letkovsky at gmail.com. So that's uh, L-E-X-L-A-T-K-O-V-S-K-I dot com at, at gmail.com. So awesome. she'll put that in the comments too. So, and I, I will help anybody if you ask me, as long as you really want to do something. So um, just let me know and I'll help you. Awesome. Yes. You're such a good friend and you've always been a supportive of or supportive of us badasses, but thank you, Lex, for being here. It was great talking to you. And I, I appreciate it, Marie. And I'm, I'm flattered to be the first, uh, <laughs> the first non, non-female on this. Right. So yes. Loved it. <laughs> Talk to you soon, friend. Thank you very much. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, OrdinaryToBadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future Spotlight episode of the show. That's OrdinaryToBadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt, and get back in the arena.